Well, it's a privilege to be here tonight, get the chance to speak to you. How many were in other sessions instead of my session today? You're forgiven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had so many great sessions. Um, what, a, what a great night, too. Wasn't the worship just great? Every session, every session, like, I just like to brag about our sons, and I just was so amazing, and it was really, um, really awesome. Well, let me give away a few things. Um, this is called The Theology of Empowering Women, and it's all about the three or four scriptures that um, seem to disempower women. I did uh, a couple of um, weeks here, uh, two Sundays in a row here, on uh, the, th- the actual theology of empowering women. So, um, is somebody here, your, your husband's oppressing you, and he's with you today? <laughs> sure. Come on, sweetheart. <laughs> For your husband. <laughs> she said, this is for my husband. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be right there. Um, this is fashion to reign, empowering women to fulfill their divine destiny. And this is also about empowering women. And uh, is there someone else here who's impressed by their husband and that he's here? <laughs> You're very welcome. I bless you. Uh, this is uh, Spirit Wars, and it's actually about Spirit Wars. <laughs> That's why I named it Spirit Wars. I named one book something that had nothing to do with a book, and it never has sold. <laughs> Heavy Rain. What's that mean? Is it about water? Like, no. Anyway, so from now on, what the book says is what it is right there. So it's about spiritual warfare. Is anybody demonized in here? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> I really got to stop doing that. I know I do. <laughs> I blame it on the devil, but I... Yep. Uh, and this is a Moral Revolution. Thank you. Do you have anything for a wife of a politician? No, oh yeah, moral revolution. (laughs) The naked truth about sexual purity. Awesome, right there. (laughs) You might give that to him, you never know. After today's Supreme Court ruling, I bet you that book sells very well. And uh, this is uh, something we just finished, basic training for the prophetic ministry. It's a curriculum kit, and it includes uh, the expanded... (laughs) The expanded version. Here, Danny, you give this to somebody. Don't start all that lovey-dovey stuff here. Uh, Anyway, that includes, we just came out with the, has anyone used the basic training prophetic manual? Like, I think we started, we actually printed that ourselves like 13 years ago. Anyway, we just rewrote it 
last year, and it's got like one-third more in it. And it's, it, it looks identical if you see it on the shelf, but it says expanded edition. And that has the expanded edition, has it, uh, eight, uh, eight sessions that we did, uh, 20 minutes each, DVD sessions, and it has a workbook in it and a teacher's guide. So it's pretty cool. Why don't we grab hands and pray? going to have you pray for your, squeeze the hand of the person next to you if you wanted to date them, but (laughs) most of the people in here look like they've been married a while. (laughs) I just had someone uh, private message me yesterday, and and they're from South Africa, and I had them squeeze their hand if you want to date the person next to you. They squeezed hands, and this week they got married. (laughs) So the dream is alive. But I won't do that right now. So, yeah, the goal is, do they, are they still married 20 years from now? That's the goal. So. so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would enlighten us. Lord, let these people know I'm right about these things tonight. <laughs> and help me to be right about these things tonight. <laughs> and we pray your blessing on our ears, on our eyes, on our hearts, that you would enlighten our hearts tonight. Amen. Amen. I have a, um, a little bit, there's some stuff going on in my heart, and I, I, I think most of the uh, guys and gals that preach a lot know what I'm saying. I, I have, I, I'm a little bit, it's not that I don't have something to say, it's like I have too much to say, and, and this morning I woke up, I woke up in the middle of the night about three o'clock in the morning, and, and uh, I felt like the Lord gave me some stuff to share, and, and today, the Supreme Court ruling today, and by the way, if you don't know about it, Supreme Court ruled today for, in favor of gay marriage in our country, and, um, and, I, and I, I gave a word in January of this year, in fact it was called uh, Esther extending the royal scepter, which I'm, I'm not going to redo that word, but I just wanted to talk a, a couple of, about a couple of things from there and then give you a, a, a message, share a message that I have that I felt like the Lord gave me this morning on hope. Um, but uh, I'm just going to read you what I actually shared with our body the book of Esther is the prophetic word for 2015. And then I just kind of gave a review for our body, just a, a short paragraph of what the book was about in case people weren't familiar with the book. And basically goes like this. The king divorced his first wife because she wouldn't party with him. And through a series of events, the king marries his second wife, who's actually from the wrong side of the tracks, but he doesn't know it. She's prepared for, for a year for, uh, to have an intimate relationship with the king. Well, Esther's enjoying the palace her people, the Jews, are becoming more and more unpopular and, and uh, oppressed by everybody. I'm sorry, and oppressed more and more by the day. Finally, her uncle Mordecai convinces Esther to use her favor with the king to save her people. The outcome was that the people who were oppressed no longer had a voice to speak into their culture, and suddenly they began. To, who were? I'm sorry. Let me read this again. The outcome was the people who were oppressed and had no voice to speak into their culture suddenly began to rule and reign in a foreign land. Like Esther, the church is entering a new season of great favor. The kings of the world, the influencers, are about to extend the scepter to the bride of Christ in a way that's unprecedented in in the last century. 2015 is the year of preparation for the bride to prepare herself for global influence. So that's what I shared. It's interesting. I was, when we were worshiping tonight, the Lord said, do you think it's by chance that the Supreme Court decision happened today and you're preaching tonight? 
Because um, Bill can tell you that I, I very seldom close the conference. Usually that's Bill closes the conference, typically. And, um, and I, I felt like the Lord said today, and this is all a prophetic word that's going to have something to do with my message, but it's not directly related. So I just thought I'd give it up front. I was trying to figure out how to homogenize it into my message. And I'm like, no, I'll just get lost in it, in the message. I felt like today said, I felt like the Lord said tonight that Haman just got promoted and it's time for the bride um, to... Uh, it's time for the bride, for the king to extend the, br- the royal scepter to the bride. And I, and I heard the Lord say in worship today, tonight, Haman just awakened the giant. And, uh, and the Lord said to me tonight, again, in worship, today we'll move from, today our movement moved from a subculture to a counterculture. Today we went, today, this day, we moved from a subculture to a counterculture. Because today, the bride has awakened. And this day, as everybody looks out and begins to worry that Haman has just decreed destruction against the people of God, the Lord is moving Esther into the palace. What the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. And the devices that Haman used, that, that, that Haman built to hang Mordecai. Now I'm talking about spirits now. Does everybody know that? I'm not talking about people. I guess I should say that. You know, oh, they're talking about hanging people. No, I'm talking about, see, I think that our battle's not about people. I don't think it's about flesh and blood. But the devices that the enemy used to hang Mordecai, he will hang on his own devices. And this, will be, this, this is the beginning of some of the greatest days in the history of the kingdom. We're going to be excited that we're alive today. When you oppress the people of God, they grow. And when you persecute them, they multiply. And if you imprison them, they get angel help. So, there's a strategic move. When you crucify the Christ, he becomes the savior of the world. So that strategy didn't work. And um, it won't work again. It's funny that people... It's funny that we let people who don't believe in the Bible use the Bible against us. It's funny they know about three verses. Judge not, lest you be judged. And you without sin, cast the first stone. And, uh, I, but they don't know the rest of the verse. Like, how many of you know that when Jesus quoted that verse, when he quoted, he without sin, cast the first stone, how many you know they were actually talking about stones? It was actually about rocks. And then Jesus turned to the, the, the gal who, was committed, who committed adultery and said, does no one condemn you? And he, she said, no. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go your way and never sin again. <laughs> How many know that wasn't condemnation? That he called her actions sin and he told her don't do it again. <laughs> How many know when you call something sin and tell someone never do it again, they think you're throwing stones. 
just a thought, just a couple of thoughts I had. That's a good word. I remember you prayed that I'd be right, so there I started pretty good. Okay, changing subjects. Somebody got it there. <laughs> um, Romans chapter 4. I want to talk uh, a little bit about hope. And um, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. If you want to turn there, you can. Paul wrote this. A father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, I have made you in the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which did not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which he'd been spoken, that which had been spoken, so shall my descendants be. And let me just say this. So tonight we want to talk about hope for the nations, and part of hope for the nations is that we, y'all, all y'all, we've been called to be fathers and mothers, not in nations, and not just for nations, but of nations. So in hope against hope, Abraham believed. And just, if you know the story, it's all about Isaac, the promised child. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child and that out of their loins would come many nations. And you'll remember that Abraham went out at night with God and God showed him all the stars of the sky and he said, can you count those stars? And Abraham said, no, I can't count that far. And God says, that's how many kids you're going to have. And then in the morning, he wakes up and says, let's take a walk. And they're walking down the, through the desert. And God says, can you count all the sands of the, of the desert, uh, sands of the sea? And he said, no, I can't. And God says, well, that's how many kids you're going to have. And, and then what happens? He has no kids. No kids. And, you know, they try to make it happen and, and end up with Ishmael. And finally, God gives Abraham and Sarah Isaac. And it said that when God came to Sarah, it said that she was beyond the um, years of, uh, of having children. She was beyond menopause. And when, when God spoke to her in the tent and said, you know, at this time next year, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him Isaac. And it says, she laughed and she said, shall I have pleasure with my master, although I'm old? And the, basically, she's saying, listen, I'm way beyond childbearing. And God says, listen, I said, you're going to have a child. And she, she laughed in she laughed in sarcasm, and God said, we'll see who laughs last. You'll call him Isaac. He laughs. How many know God always gets the last laugh? And every time she called Isaac, Isaac, come in. She remembered God got the last laugh. But it says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. In other words, every month, you can imagine, she um, has a cycle. And every month, he believes and I'm sure at first, when she's in childbearing age, he's, she's like, you know, it didn't happen. And, and there's that disappointment that it didn't happen. And all of you, many of you that have been in here before, uh, been in here and you've been in this place where you've, you wanted children and, and you, you know, just went month after month and some of you year after year and no children, you know that cycle. You know that, that you just hope and, and your wife's a little late on a cycle and, and you're like, oh, maybe now. And I, no, it didn't happen. And, and he did that for years, like 50 years, until finally, you know, Abraham's 99, I don't know how old Sarah is at the time, pretty close to, in her 90s, and finally she gets pregnant supernaturally. But that 
hope. That Abraham continued to hope. That thing in him, that delayed response from God built something in Abraham that laid a foundation for him to be enabled to be a father, not to a nation. Abraham was not the father of Israel. Abraham was the father of many nations. And then it says this, and so shall his descendants be. That would be y'all. That we are called to be fathers and mothers of nations. Not just in nations, of nations. That was, that was a, the promise given to the father of faith. Jesus shows up some years later in Matthew 28. And he, when he rose from the dead, it says this, that Jesus came to, and spoke to the disciples and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How many of you understand that Jesus did not tell them to make disciples in all nations? Obviously, there's other verses that that tell us about making disciples of people. But this verse says that we are to make disciples, not of people, but of whole people groups, of whole nations. And and that that wasn't a new concept for the disciples because they were, how many understand, they didn't have a New Testament, but they sure had the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, one of the greatest promises of the old covenant was that they would become fathers of nations and so jesus said hey this is this that is this you're going to be fathers and mothers you're going to be disciples of nations you're going to make disciples of nations i'd like to suggest to you that that word's never been fulfilled and that one of the signs of the times is that we would be fathers of nations and that that doesn't, and Jesus didn't say, in the millennium. And if you're new to Bethel, uh, or new to our stream, or you haven't heard us before, um, maybe I should say this, like, I think everybody believes the promises of God. Every Christian believes the promises of God. It's where you put them that matters. Some people take all the judgments of the Bible and put them on our in our time. And they take all the promises and they push them out to a place that you can't hope for them. And they call that the signs of the times. And so when you say the signs of the times, they repeat Matthew 24, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and nation will rise against nation. And I'm like, that's true. How many believe that there's been wars? How many believe there's been rumors of wars? How many think that nation have rose against nation? Has there been earthquakes in strange places? Has there been famines? I would suggest that that's been fulfilled. But Jesus gave us some other ones. And he said, greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. How many of you think that's been fulfilled? Jesus prayed, had us pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in the same way it is in heaven. How many think that's been done? Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. How many think that's been done? So how many think there might be some positive signs? I mean, Jesus could come back right now. Okay, he didn't. (laughs) Well, it's just getting in the posture. I just have this way, like the way I want to go up. The same way Jesus went up. You know the Jesus posture. 
I mean, Jesus could come back anytime he wants, but he didn't. And you're like, well, he said he'd be right back. That was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> I mean, his idea right back, maybe it ain't the same as yours. And so I want to talk a little bit about the hope for the nations. And I, I'd like to suggest that you're God's X factor. You're God's tipping point. Well, you look around and you go, what is God doing about the stuff that's going wrong? He's doing you. He's got it right here. Like, what's the plan? You. What's God going to do about this? When's God going to act? He brought you here to listen to this anointed message today. You know, I'm partly joking, but the part I'm not joking about is you are the answer. You're like, no, God's the answer. He's in you. People say stupid things like, I can't do anything without God. Well, yeah, but he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So that verse doesn't apply to you. Because that means you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Well, I thought I can't do anything about God without God. Does he ever leave you? If he left you, then you might want to grab onto that verse. You know, if he ever does, just grab onto that verse. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. (laughs) Now, stupid should be painful. But anyway. You know, it's. I'm going to read you what I wrote this morning. I probably shouldn't debate it whether I put it in here, but I here it goes. The frontal lobe's not working. I'm becoming childlike. I have no frontal lobe whatsoever. The world is underwhelmed by the revelation of Jesus. We sit under a basket lighting matches while screaming fire and wonder why no one's inspired. We sing our our theme song, This Little Light of Mine, and and then rewrite eschatology to spiritualize the growing darkness. We're overeducated and underexperienced, extremely articulate, yet incredibly ignorant. We We culturally stand out as awkward and irrelevant, yet morally fit in because we are equally unholy and sadly unloving. We honor the spiritual exploits of the past apostles, telling their stories and boasting in their impact, Yet we ourselves have a form of godliness and a doctrine of powerlessness. The church has become an artifact, a monument, a lifelike museum of a lifeless wax of lifeless wax characters echoing nobility but having no voice of their own. The world has embraced the doctrine of the ridiculous and blatantly ignoring. I'm sorry. The world has embraced the doctrine of ridiculous, blatantly ignoring facts to hold to a degenerate form of freedom. Therefore, it's encumbered upon us to shake shake ourselves from the mindsets of misery and awaken the hero in us. We are God's tipping point, his X factor, his hope for the nations. It's time to arise. It's It's our time to shine. It's our time to make crooked places straight. Welcome to the House of Heroes. You know, when um, Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar went into Israel, 
It was a pretty bad time. Nebuchadnezzar went into Israel, destroyed the temple, took Israel captive, and took most of the Israelites captive, put them in prison camps, and made one strategic mistake. He took four boys captive, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't realize it, but tearing down the temple, destroying Israel, imprisoning all the Israelites was maybe a great strategic move for the Babylonians. But he didn't realize that he arrested and brought into his own palace the wrong people. And while everybody was mourning the loss of the Israelites and the destroying of the temple, God had already instituted his plan. His name was Daniel. And Daniel comes into the king's palace in Daniel chapter 1. And the king orders his chief official to bring some of the sons of Israel, including, this is verse 3, some of the royal family and nobles and the nobles and youth who had no defects, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discernment, knowledge, and who had an ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I love this because many, many years ago, when we were in Weaverville, think about it, Weaverville. I remember Bill teaching many messages, but one of the ones that really impacted me as a young man was a message about leaven. Later on, Bill began to talk about the three leavens, but the message I remember is when you talked about the woman who needed leaven into society. In fact, Jesus says three pecks of leaven. I don't even know what that is, but I assume it's a very small amount. And she needs it into the dough and all the dough rises. And I remember the message. I can, I can remember exactly where I was in, in, the, in that little building. And Bill talked about that society rises as the Lord hides us in society. He hides us. It isn't just that he, he hides the Daniels in the palaces, but he hides the housewives and the mechanics and the engineers and the technicians, they look like technicians by day. But at night, they glow. They look like ordinary housewives, ordinary people. But the kingdom in them is bigger than the kingdom around them. And they begin to get kneaded into society, kneaded into the dough. And nobody suspects Nobody thinks about it. Everybody's watching the news and the evil of the day and they're not even suspecting that Joe down the street is being needed into society. And the kingdom within you becomes the kingdom around you as you begin to cultivate the kingdom. And Joe and Henry and Mary and Jane, they begin to cultivate the kingdom inside of them. And it begins to grow around them. And pretty soon... They're moving in wonders, in signs, and miracles, and the angels are with them. So Daniel works in the court of the king, and 
in the eighth verse of chapter one, it says Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with wine, which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And then he asked for a diet of vegetables only. Which is kind of strange because Paul said, he who's weak in faith eats vegetables only. So if Daniel did that on vegetables, think what he could have done on steak. (laughs) That's what I'm saying right there. I mean, if he had that much wisdom and he didn't eat meat, think about what would happen if he would have ate steak. Amen. That's a good word. It's interesting to me that Daniel decides that he's not going to defile himself with the king's food. He won't eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. But he'll let the king call him Belshazzar, which is the name of the king's, one of the king's gods, and he'll, and he'll take on the title of chief of the magicians. Isn't that strange? I won't eat the king's food, but you can call me a psychic or a sorcerer. Not only can you call me a, a sorcerer, but I'll actually be in charge of all your sorcerers. Hey, you guys have a prophetic ministry? No, we have a sorcerer ministry. <laughs> yeah, we, we prophesy to the king. We are sorcerers. And Daniel is in charge. Can you think about this? Did you just hear what I said? Daniel is actually in charge of the sorcerers. And the king's like, well, if you're going to be in charge of the sorcerers, you've got to have like a, a sorcerer name. So the king referred to him as Belshazzar and not Daniel. And by the way, Daniel's actually not um, defined in the Bible as a prophet. He's defined as a sorcerer to the king. You and I are like, well, no, no, he's not a sorcerer. I, I mean, I know that, and you know that, but the king didn't know that. It's funny to me that Daniel, he knows how to customize without compromise, but his customization looks like a compromise if you're in the, on the outside. I can't imagine that Daniel would survive the 21st century if he was a Christian. I mean, the world would love him, but the, the Christians would hate him. Be ready. Proverbs 23, 1 says, When you sit down to dine with the ruler, consider carefully what's before you and put a knife to your throat. If you're a man of great appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for his food is deceptive food. I love that Daniel can... One of the reasons why Daniel, God trusts Daniel in the courts of the king is because he can't be defiled. Because he made up his mind to not be defiled. He put a knife to his throat. He said, no, I'm not eating that king stuff. And, you know, it's important where we're going. It's important for where we're going that you learn how to manage your appetite. And first of all, before you can manage it, you have to admit you have it. Mm. There's a lot I could say about that, but being unconsciously ignorant is scary when you're in the courts of the king. And Solomon said, if you're a man of great appetite then you need to learn how to manage your appetite. Put a knife to your throat so when you get in the course of the king, he cannot entice you with his money, with his power, with his influence, or anything else. When you come to the course of the king, you cannot take money. You cannot take pictures with the king. You cannot put him on Facebook. 
We meet with a lot of political people over the last, especially the last five years, four or five years. And the Lord's just opened doors for us, for many of us, I'm sure many of you. He's opened the doors, and the doors are wide open lately, and we, we go all over the world um, and in our own country. And the, the Lord's warned me, when you go, when you sit with a ruler, do not desire his delicacies. And I began to pray over that word, like, Lord, he said, I want to take you into the palaces of kings, but if you love their stuff, I can't trust you. And I'm like, their stuff, okay, their stuff, like their cars, no, 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 you don't have a problem with that. You have a problem with significance. And you connecting with significant people is your demon. You have to manage the sun. Do you see you have an appetite for significance? Yes. Okay. You understand you're meeting with someone very significant, more significant than you. So your tendency is going to be to buddy up to the guy who has more significance and suck his significance into your life. And if you do that, I won't open a door again for you. So my team can tell you, Kathy's been with me many times, I don't take pictures with, with them. I never ask for a picture with them. Now, if they ask for a picture, that's fine. But if we take a picture, I don't put it on Facebook. I don't put it on social networking. I don't tell people where I'm going. Maybe I say I'm in D.C. I don't tell them who I'm meeting with. Just my team, our team. and We, have a, we call a top secret prayer team. Just a few that, that have been precedent here. And we, we share. We don't even share who we're meeting with. We'll say we're meeting with someone very important at 2 o'clock. And we have about 12 of them. And they pray at 2 o'clock or 12 o'clock or whatever time we're meeting. And they go a day early and they, they pray over the, what we're doing. And, but never ask for their autograph. Don't bring my stuff. Here's my book. For you. For y'all. You'll probably want to buy one of these for all of the people on your team. And you'll probably want to put that on your Facebook that you, that you read my book. Now they may end up with our stuff, but I don't give it to them. Like, that's not a good gift. You want to give them a gift, don't give them something that benefits you. We've come here to serve. I don't think I have to tell anyone who follows us how we feel about morality. But when I get in the room, I'm not, I'm not there for that. I'm, I'm not there to tell them how they should vote. I'm not there to influence their view on pornography or on homosexuality or on abortion. I have strong feelings about that. I, I was the founder of Moral Revolution. But the Lord said, drop your agenda and take on theirs. Go to serve them. I'm like, Lord, I, I have these things to say. He said, if they value you, you'll have influence with them. But right now, you have to care more for them than you do for your agenda and in the years to come, I'll give you influence with kings. You know, you only have as much influence in people's lives if, you have, if they have value for you. And it's funny to me, some of the things we've done have completely made us a subculture. The Lord said, do signs and wonders, and we carry signs that make you wonder.
I mean, you know, I love the body of Christ. I got saved when I was 18 years old. I, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, you know, I, I, think it, I think when you're on the inside and you love people, it's okay to be, not critical, but it's okay to point out things that need to change in the body of Christ. Now, someone from the outside points it out. I'm like, hey, hey, don't talk about my people. But I could talk about my people because they're my people. And I think the body of Christ is the least strategic organization on the planet. And the Lord said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And he said, the sons of this age are wiser than the sons of God. I was coming home on a plane. This is some years ago. It's probably five or six years ago. And the Lord said to me, I was, I was just at that place. You know where, the, where you fall asleep? You're right in between asleep and awake. We're on a plane and I'm kind of right in that, just right in that, oh, just about asleep. And I, by the way, the Lord often talks to me right in that place. No, I don't actually know what it is. I'm not saying that as any kind of spiritual thing. I just often like right there, he enters into that place. And so I'm on, on the plane and I, I think I was coming back. I think I was coming back from Australia. And uh, I, I was just, just in, that, in that place. And I heard suddenly, like I wasn't thinking about it. It was, in fact, that's part of the way I know God speaks to me. Like I'm not thinking about it. I wasn't praying about it. It wasn't on my mind. It wasn't anything like that. And I suddenly heard the Lord say, I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And this is what he said to me. You know a lot about doves, but you don't know a thing about serpents. I want you to study the ways of serpents so that you can, so that you can understand their ways and undermine their purposes. I can't tell you exactly what I've been doing from the podium. But I took that word to heart and I began to study the ways of serpents. And then the Lord said to me that verse I quoted earlier. He said, the sons of this age are wiser than the sons of light. It was not a commentary on the way it should stay. It was a commentary on the way it was. And the Lord said, I want this to change. I want you to be as wise as serpents. I want you to be innocent as doves. And I woke up from that place on the plane and I began and I wrote it down and I began to just you know how that starts to flow and you're like okay now I'm now I am thinking now I'm thinking about that and I remember that word that Bill gave many many years ago I was probably in my 20s Bill preached that about being needed into society and all came back to me and the Lord's like this is the time these are the I'm I'm awakening the Daniels I'm awakening the Esthers I'm putting them in places of influence you need to learn how to gain value so you can be influential and you don't know anything about gaining value with people that you don't agree with. Because you were a protester. I was a protester. When, a, a, um, when Planned Parenthood came into our city many years ago, into Weirville, I led the protest against them in our city. I had a sign outside that said, you know, abortion is murder, and the other side said, Planned Parenthood, go home. I was pretty passive. Then the Lord said, you don't, you don't know anything about gaining influence with people. All you know how to do is fight. I'm like, oh yeah. And the Lord said, I'm going to teach you how to love people who you don't agree with. I'm like, that's the whole revelation. Like, love people you don't agree with. This is a whole new revelation. Like, you can actually love a political party you didn't vote for. <laughs> okay. 
Right after President Obama got elected the second time, I said to our congregation, I love President Obama. And then it was silence in our church. And I just let it sit for a little while and kept talking. And I said, I don't know what you think about President Obama. Some of you obviously are not glad he got reelected, and a few of you were. But my point is, is that you can love someone you don't agree with. And you can pray for the benefit of someone you didn't want in there. In fact, in fact, Bill shared, I think a, a few weeks after that, Bill shared about some times in history when the church actually refused to pray for its leaders because they didn't like the people who were in office. And out of that came, I think Adolf Hitler was one of your examples or somebody like that, right? That where the people just refused to pray for their leader because they did not agree with them and they didn't like him. You know, I can love you. It doesn't mean I have to agree with you. You know, on the, on the homosexual agenda list, it's like you agree with us or you hate us. These are the only two answers on the multiple test question. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have a third one. I love you, but I don't agree with you. I'm like, I love you. I mean, I can embrace you. I don't mean like, I love you like, stay out there. I love you. Stay out there. Like, I love you. Like, have you ever heard this? I love you, but I don't like you. Well, I'm not sure people are going to feel the love <laughs> when you don't like them. I'd be like, hey, scrap loving me and just like me then. <sighs> Can't do that. Jesus told me to love you, but he didn't tell, tell me to like you. Like's not even in the Bible. In fact, if I liked you, it'd be unbiblical. In Jeremiah 5, God says to Jeremiah, this is in a really tough time of Israel, he said, Rome to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem and look now and take note and seek in her open squares if you can find a man. If there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, I will pardon her. You know, I think in these times, and like when we have rulings like this, some of you are, are not from America, please pray for us. But in times like today, this stuff like this makes us feel powerless. Like, oh, we're just powerless. We're like, oh my goodness, what happened? We just lost a major battle. And it's like, and God says, I just look around and find a person. Just find somebody whose heart is holy mind. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says this, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Whole heart equals strong support. How many of you really love God? Like, no, I mean like you really, 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 not like, you don't like God. You love God. Like you love God. Well, right here, God would strongly support any of y'all. Whatever you do, he strongly supports you. It is not true that you're a victim. It's not true that you're powerless. There's more for you than those who are against you. If you knew who you were, you wouldn't ever worry. Because worry is incongruent with knowing who you are. God's your daddy. So what's the problem? And God, if God is for you, then who can be against you? So what's the issue? There's a book called The Tipping Point. Anybody read that book? 
It's actually a great book. It's been years since I read it. But it opens up with a story about a woman who was murdered in Queens, New York in 1964. Her name was Kitty. And, of course, that wouldn't even make front-page news that someone was murdered in New York. But the odd thing about this murder is that it happened in broad daylight daylight with 38 witnesses and not one person called the police. And not only that, but the murder, the, the man raped her in broad daylight and beat her, and the raping and beating altogether took more than 30 minutes. In broad daylight, with 38 people watching, this man raped this woman, this young gal, and murdered her in front of 38 people, and not one person called the cops. Not one. So, years later, some social scientists got together, and they began to find these crimes, and that was one of them. And they began to do some research, and they began to go back and try to find the neighbors, those neighbors and that watched that crime, as many as they could find. And they did some experiments. And this is what they found. The more people who viewed a crime, the less likely there is anyone to respond. In fact, they said something like this, and I, I again, forgot to write down the statistics. They said something like this. If one person views a crime there's about an 87% chance that they will actually intervene, call 911, they will do something to stop the crime. If two people view the same crime, it drops like by about 10%. If a crowd views the cr- a crime, there's only about a 38, 39% chance that anyone will do anything. Do you know why? When they interviewed him, here was the most, res- here is the greatest response. Everybody thought everyone else already did something. And consequently, nobody did anything. They call it the crowd syndrome. The challenge is, is that everybody looks around at things that need help, and everybody thinks, why doesn't someone do something about this? And no one does anything. And most of the time, it's because we look at the challenge, and we assess our strengths, and we decide that we're not equal to the challenge. And most people on the earth, and most believers are much more aware of what they're not than they are. Like you ask people, what are you good at? They're like, well, I can knit. I'm a great knitter. I'm a nice person. What do you suck at? Oh, brother, I've been making a list and checking it twice. We are so overly aware of what we're not. Isn't it funny when Jesus, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the 3,000, the 2,000, he doesn't care what you don't have. It's like, you know, he said, hey, let's feed these people. And it's like, this one disciple's like, wow, I don't know where we're going to get all the food. You know, I mean, even if there was a store here, I mean, if we spent $10,000, we couldn't feed all these people. And he's telling Jesus why we can't do this. And one disciple who remains unnamed says, hey, kids got a lunch. I'm sure the other disciple looked at him and said, stupid. Because <laughs> he finishes that, that, that phrase with, but what is that to all these people? you imagine if you had... 5,000 people, no, 5,000 men plus 
women and children to feed, maybe 13,000, 14,000 people in a big field, and there's no store around, and, you, and somebody says, well, you know, Joey's got a lunch. <laughs> and, you know, the Lord takes the lunch. And he begins to, the boy, the mo- mama packed fish and loaves. Now, how many know if she would have packed tacos? They would have had tacos. But they had fish and bread because that's what mama packed. And Jesus, you know the story, gets them to all sit down, takes the disciples. They begin to break the bread, break the fish, and everybody eats. And there's, I love this part, you know, Jesus understands mothers. Because when they get done eating, Jesus sends the disciples out to pick up all the fragments. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I know this is true. He gives them to the boy and says, take this to your mother. Because <laughs> you know, as soon as he gets home, he's like, Jesus stole my lunch. <laughs> you know how that works. But he gave me all of this. I mean, it's amazing what the Lord can do with a few fishes and a few loaves. And you're like, I, I don't have anything. God doesn't care what you don't have. What do you have? What do you have? Do you understand what God can do with a little bit? Well, we lost sight that he can do all things through you. In fact, when you're weak, he's strong. Some years ago, I've told the story a few times lately, but... A few years ago, actually several years ago, probably about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I was standing at the back and we had just finished uh, church and most everybody was gone. And this lady uh, who I didn't know, I think she was actually visiting, she came over and she said, Pastor Chris, um, she was really nervous. I have a prophetic word for you. I'm like, okay. She said, I'm really nervous. I don't, I don't know if I should give it to you. I said, you know, you can give it to me. Well, I'm really nervous. I'm like, can you just give me the word, please? And to be honest, I get a lot of prophetic words like I'm over-prophesied and underperformed. <laughs> I will have to live to be 600 for all of my prophetic words to come to pass. So it's encouraging. Like right now, I'm like a teenager. <laughs> and this is what she said to me. I, I don't remember exactly word for word, but she said this. She said, I see the mantle of C.S. Lewis on you. And she said, I see you as C.S. Lewis. And she was really nervous and her voice was cracking and she kept looking away. And, and she said, I see the mantle of C.S. Lewis on you. And do you know who C.S. Lewis is? I said, yeah, I, I do. I th- think he's a writer. She's like, yeah, he's a writer. And, and, and the mantle of C.S. Lewis is on you. And I feel like the Lord's going to use you and you're going to write books. And, and, and God's going to, you know, it's just this whole word about it. And, and she said, asked me how I felt about that word. I said, well, it would be God because I can't spell and so, I don't think I should have said that because she looked, oh no. <laughs> but immediately after that, I still can't spell. Seriously, I cannot spell. But I began to write. In fact, the Holy Spirit taught me how to write. He, when I, I sat down to write and he said, I want you, I, I'm going to give you pictures and I want you to paint with words. Just paint with words. And I started painting with words, and the, Lord, and the Holy Spirit would give me words I never use. I know I never use them, because if they're more than eight letters, I never use them. It's kind of funny. I, I've shared this many times, but 
I was, when I was writing my first book, I, I can't spell and I can't type. Well, I kind of type. I type better now. I don't use the right fingers, but I use them all. <laughs> and I was typing. And I, I was typing, typing. I used to get up early in the morning before I'd come to work. And we were living in this little house and on Olive Street. And it, just, it was very tiny, 900 square feet. And, and, and we kind of set up this little closet where I could write in. And so I was writing there one morning. And... And Kathy just walks by because it was in the hall. And Kathy walks by while I'm writing. And she kind of stands behind me. Now I'm really nervous because now, now I'm trying to use all the fingers, you know, to let her know I can. I'm a writer. C.S. Lewis, the mantle. C.S. Lewis is on me. <laughs> wow, I wrote in tongues. <laughs> so I'm trying my best, you know, and these little boxes keep popping up. They'd been popping up for months. Well, you know, little, little, it's a little box. It's, it's just keeps saying, do you want to add this to your dictionary? I'm like, well, I guess I do. <laughs> I had no idea. I'd never had a computer before. So I'm like, do you want to add this to your dictionary? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> want to add this to your dictionary? Yes, I do. I'm like, like 20 times in every page. Do you want to add this to your dictionary? Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I prayed about which one to push. I'm like, yes, I do. So Kathy's standing behind me, and, and I push, and I'm trying to go fast and act like I know what I'm doing. It pops up, and whoop, hit the box. <laughs> and then sometimes it pops up and says, which one of these words are you trying to spell? I'm like, what the heck? If I knew, I wouldn't be asking you. That's so stupid, isn't it? Are you trying to spell one of these five words? Well, Probably. I don't know about you, but I like Google. Like Google's like your mother. You could spell every word wrong in a sentence and it'll go, this is probably what you're trying to say, huh? Google's got some kind of gifted discernment. Have you noticed that? In fact, I don't even use spell check anymore. I just Google. I'm like, this is what I'm trying to say. This would be the word you want, Mr. Valentin. Thank you very much. So the box pops up, and I, I'd hit like three times while she's standing behind me. She said, are you, are you checking yes? I'll say, yeah. She said, do you know what that's saying? I said, yeah. It says, do you want to say this to the dictionary? She said, yeah. It, you spelled the word so bad, it doesn't have any idea what you just said. <laughs> Seriously. For a year, I'd been pressing yes. You know, like, it didn't occur to me until like two years later that I'd put in a word, it would change it to the way I misspelled it the last time, and then underline it in red. I'm like, I have no idea why it underlines it in red. It auto-corrects to that, to that, and then tells me, that ain't how you spell it. And then sometimes I hit the little thing to get some more options and more misspelled words are in there. Oh, that's probably closer. And then it's underlined in red. So I thought she was going to dial out and she's like, have you ever noticed there's like no dictionary for those? So anyway, my computer speaks in tongues, but it has no interpretation.
So I, I wrote some books, and the short story is I, I got published, and uh, my first book became a, a bestseller, and that was a miracle. You know, our whole team, when Bill's first book came out, which was like two years before, it was, you know, How Heaven Invades Earth, they're like, oh, that, you know, that book became instant bestseller, and our team was like, well, of course, it's Bill. Bill can do everything. He can sing. He can play the piano. He can preach. He's a good athlete. He's good looking. And then Chris. When my book became a bestseller, our people were like, if he can do it, we can do it. Instantly like, yeah. And then two years later, the janitor wrote a book. It's a true story. I inspired everybody. So a couple years ago, a friend of ours has a university, and he's like, hey, we use three of your books in our, in our university, and I would like to give you an earned doctorate. doctorate. I'm like, okay. I didn't know what that was, but I, like, sounds important. Do I get letters? <laughs> you know, after my name. Do I get letters after my name if I get one of those? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So he said, you just have to do these things. And he said, you need to write a thesis. I didn't know what a thesis was. <laughs> I thought it was like, <laughs> never mind, I don't want to tell you. I won't even tell you. I won't even tell you because telling you the truth is too hard. <laughs> so I did tell him what I thought it was. And he's like, um, no. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. I'm sure he went in his office and that kid's an idiot. He must have a great editor. <laughs> so he said, you know, he said, well, you just need to write a thesis and we'll, um, you know, and we'll, we'll format it. And, you, and I said, oh, I just, I'm just about done writing my book on empowering women. He said, oh, yeah, we'll put that in another format. And he gave me this instructions and put it on a list and gave me a counselor. I don't know what the counselor was for, but anyway... <clears throat> So I came back and told my PA, hey, help me format this. And so she was in the middle of formatting. We had all this stuff. This is about three months worth of work to put it all together. And about a month and a half into it, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night, not for good reasons, and, and the Lord said to me, um, hey, hey, you, yeah, did you ask me about getting a PhD? No. Well, I told my mother. I said, you didn't ask me about that. I said, yeah, I know, I know. He said, you can't have a PhD. I said, why not? He says, because then people will think you can do this. And we both know you can't. <laughs> That's what he said to me, honest to God. He said, and you know you can't. And if you get letters after your name, then it will ruin what you are in the earth. Because you're a sign of what I can do with weakness. And if you get letters, people won't know you're weak. And I, you're assigned to the body of Christ. What I can do with broken things. All right. So I call my mom. <laughs> See, because I know Jesus didn't want to make wine. And then his mother told him to. You know, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. And, his, and she's like, your mother says make wine. So I call my mother. And I said, Mom, I can't get a, you know, a PhD, you know, 
The Lord said, no. She cried on the phone. I said, well, you can talk to him. <clears throat> it doesn't matter that you're weak. You know, I love, we have strength finders tests. You guys take strength finders tests? We just take strength finders tests and disc tests and they analyze us and cross-examine us. And it comes out with your strengths. I love it. You know, it's like, Lord, here's my strengths. Here's my five top. Lord goes, good, we'll use you at the sixth one. I think there ought to be a weakness test. Like, what do you really suck at? There should be a book, What You Suck At. <laughs> You're like, Lord, this is my 87th weakness. It's like, okay, we'll use that one. And my real point is this. God wants you to change the world. I can't do that. <laughs> we all know that. We all know you're not that good. But he is. But he is. And when you leave here, you're going to go back in society and God's going to need you into society. And you're going to change the earth. You know why? Because this is the season to change the earth. <laughs> Esther has received... By 2016, 2015, year of preparation. 2016, scepter extended. And when everybody says, oh, Haman's winning, God goes, oh, no, you, you didn't calculate that right. One plus zero equals me. You didn't factor me in. You didn't understand that I said, arise and shine for your light has come. Behold, behold, look around. Deep darkness covers the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations, what? Nations, who? Nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Look around, they all gather to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in arms. Then you'll see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will return to you. The wealth of nations will be given to you. When does that happen? When it gets dark. How many understand that when you, you arise in darkness, but darkness doesn't stay dark. Because you're the light of the church. No, see, that's the problem. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine inside the walls of the church. This little light of mine. The stupid song. Somebody who felt powerless wrote that on a bad day. This little light of mine. You, you don't have a little light. No, no, you're the light of the world. The only way you can get brighter and the world can get darker is if you stay inside the basket called the church. But if you take it outside, you're like, well, how can darkness get darker? And you get, and you shine. We go, well, we could, you can contain the light. Yeah, but he said, I'm going to put you on a hill so everyone can see you. You are not powerless. Yes, but I'm weak. Awesome. When you do something amazing, they go, that's got to be God. Can't be her. Oh my God, I know that lady. <laughs> Trust me, this is a miracle, and I don't even believe there is a God. This is our time. 
This is it. Do not go home and disqualify yourself. You are qualified. You can do this. Everything you need is in the shop. Don't go somewhere else. You know, it's a metaphor, so don't take the metaphor too far. But I mean, what I mean by that is everything he called you to do, it's the stuff you need is all around you. The people, the anointing, the money, everything you need is right there. Well, I don't see it. You have to step first. You have to go forward. You know, and Moses is all, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord's like, no, I didn't say that. I said go forward. And when you go home, it's time to move forward. How many of you know if you want something to be different tomorrow, you have to do something different today? <clears throat> I've never done that before. Awesome. I mean, try something, even if it's wrong. Just get momentum. Danny was talking about momentum. Just get momentum. Just go. I opened door one. It's the wrong door. Well, there's only two doors left. I opened door one and door two. The next one's got to be it. There's only three doors. This is the process of elimination when you're not very smart. You're getting wiser by the minute. You get experience. How do you get experience? You fail. I have a lot of experience. I can tell by all the scars on your head. You must be married. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I want to pray for you. Will you stand, please? Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service of sacrifice with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. <clears throat> I want to pray for you right now. And when I do, something's going to happen to you. No, I'm, I'm actually not joking now. Like when I pray for you, Something's going to happen to you. Not because of me. But you should see the guy who lives in me. He's awesome. <clears throat> and he told me that I'm going to pray for you. And that God's, he's going to act. So I'm going to pray for you. Some of you are going to weep through the night. We had permission to weep today. That was a prophetic word, by the way. It wasn't just a, it's okay to. It was God saying, you're about to weep through the night. But joy's going to come in the morning. You're not going to get stuck in weeping, but don't be surprised if you weep through the night. <clears throat> Eric and I had the same response this morning when we woke. He said, I woke and there was a burden on me when I, you know, I woke up early this morning and Kathy said, the Supreme Court just passed this law. We had been watching it. Just deep grief. Not anger. And I'm not saying it was wrong to be angry. But I didn't feel angry. I just feel, ugh. My nation. And God said, that's right. You're grieving because it's yours. My nation. And I, I felt like the Lord said, that's how I feel. I feel grieved. And I remember that Jesus wept before Lazarus was raised. And I'm like, this is a good sign. 
Weeping endures through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Like we have to make sure that we weep. We don't stick our head in the sand and pretend this isn't happening. God says, survey the walls and weep with me. Weep for the brokenness of your country. Get in the dirt and understand what's happening. Don't get mad at people. Love people. Love them through it. Take these people who passed these laws and these people who, who got these laws passed. They're your sons and daughters. They're my sons and daughters. You're their, they're, their, they're, they're brothers and sisters. And you will father this nation. That means you're, they're your sons and daughters. And then the Lord said to me this morning, call out for mercy. Call for mercy. I'm like, Lord, I'm not feeling very merciful. He said, me neither. That's why I need you to call out for mercy. I'm like, okay, I pray for mercy. This anointing started coming. We prayed for mercy. I think uh, someone was praying for mercy. Oh, uh, the song. The song was the heart of the Lord tonight. It's like, oh, that was the Lord was saying, uh, mercy triumphs over ju- judgment, right? It was like she started singing a song. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a song of the Lord this morning. I, I didn't get a song. I just mean the, uh, was pr- cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy, cry out for mercy. I'm like, Lord, I don't feel very merciful. He's like, me neither. I'm like, all right. So that's why we got to cry out for mercy. Yes, stand between the living and the dead. Okay, stand between the living and the dead. God, I actually would like you to kill some of the living. Yeah, I know. That's why you need to step. I'm just having this conversation with the Lord. I'm sorry, it's just being real. Like, this is, these are the thoughts going through my head. Like, you know, Lord, if you just took a few of those people, like, home early, it would be helpful. You know? You know, I don't, I don't want to tell you which ones, but I'll give you the initials. <laughs> I'm joking about that, of course. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so the Lord says, agents of change. Your secret agents of change. No, let me say this. It's like, is that a fivefold gift? And what's this number six? You're an agent of change. A secret agent of change. When you go home, I'm a secret agent of change. Wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes. Wherever the Holy Spirit goes, the angels go. I'm a secret agent of change. You don't want to lock me up because there'll be an earthquake and I'll get out. You don't want to oppress me because I'll multiply. You don't want to imprison me. It's not a good plan. So Lord, I just pray right now. You would release an anointing, whatever this means, for agents of change. Secret agents of change. The Daniels, the Shadrachs, the Meshachs, the Abednegoes, the Esthers, the Mordecais, the Barnabases, the Pauls, all these agents of change. And Lord, I pray that you would release an anointing for agents of change. That literally when they step back into their city, that there would be a shift in the atmosphere above. And the mindsets, the suns that are being controlled by the principality of the air that's now working and the sons of disobedience, that suddenly the prince over the area would shift and angels become princes. Well, we just release that right now, that we would be agents of change, that you, the king, would extend the bride, the scepter, and say, Esther, you're my star. You're my X factor. Lord, I just release that right now. And I pray like Daniel that we wouldn't eat the king's food. 
that you'd give us wisdom for restraint, that you'd give us favor with influencers, that we would learn how to be a royal priesthood and not just a priesthood. Lord, we've learned how to worship. Now teach us how to be royalty. No, I just want you to do this just as a, a prophetic act. Just put your hand on your heart. Now, I want to pray. God, I pray every person in here would become noble. Then I just watch the Lord. I know this, we, we do this in school, but I just actually see this picture in my mind that the Lord is just commissioning you with swords, commissioning you, nobility, commissioning you. Woof, 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 just noble people. The Lord just commissioning people all over. And as he commissions you, as he puts his uh, um, sword on your shoulder, I see... And it's a little uh, kind of cartoonish, but I see instantly like the armor whew, just fills. You just suddenly the armor just shows up on you. And different colors, there's different colors of armor. Lord, I just release that over every person right now. In Jesus' name, I break the power of fear and intimidation. And I, I pray that as we migrate back to our, to our homes, that we would bring a reformation.